Coming up on the George Farmer podcast. It is a really important part of the whole planted tank system and it is really worth investing in a good quality substrate system. Hi everyone, George here and welcome to episode 7 of the George Farmer podcast. I'm your host. And I'm your co-host, Emma Farmer. Today's topic is all about substrates in the planted tank. And again, it's a potentially complex topic, but as always, the aim of season one is to make all of these subjects more accessible and digestible, breaking them down into easy to understand chunks, hopefully. So what we'll be doing today is talking about substrates, what they do, how they do it, different types, some frequently asked questions and top tips. Really looking forward to this one, George. I know you get asked a lot of questions on substrate, so hopefully there'll be a lot of top tips for our listeners. Tell us what's been going on this week. An interesting week. I think the main thing I want to talk about is the International Aquatic Plant Layout Contest, or the IAPLC. This is the world's largest aquascoping contest organised by Aqua Design Amano, or ADA. And it's a really big deal in the world of aquascoping, and many aquascapers worldwide really focus their aquascaping hobby to create this one specific layout to compete in this contest and I entered as I like to do every year that I can I came rank 305th the ranking for me is interesting but it's not my main motivation it's nice to compete in something I think contests are a great way to focus your energies into a specific layout to create something for a specific time scale and so it can really kind of focus your attention give you an end goal and a motivation and for me the contests are a really great way to help inspire new hobbyists they give them something to kind of aim for especially when they see these really high-end aquascapes i think it's also nice to represent your country as well uh, the uk had a record amount of entries this year with 25 and do you enter every year I try to. If I have an aquascape I think is kind of, in air quotes, worthy of, of competing, it's a little bit challenging for me because because I am in the kind of public eye with aquascaping. I think there's a bit of pressure there to perform at a high level. But I'm quite comfortable in my role as an aquascaper in that my my motivation is based on educating and inspiring people, making the aquascaping hobby beginner-friendly more accessible and digestible and that's you know one of the reasons we're doing this podcast of course. I do like to enter, I, I'm very curious to see especially the higher ranking entries because these potentially set new trends in the hobby and, and so as a you know a full-time aquascaper I think it's important for me to keep an eye on these things. And how many how many times have you entered? I think about a dozen or so times and what's your best rank? Around 150, and then my lowest is about 900, and oh. all in between those. So part of me would really like to compete seriously, because I'm quite a competitive person, as you know, Emma. I do. I would be curious to know, if I did spend 100% of my energy into one aquascape for the whole year, how I would compete. But a good example is the Aquascaper 1200 that I did submit this year, and that was a constantly evolving aquascape. It was a, an aquarium designed to enjoy from a consumption point of view, but more importantly for us, more from a creation point of view. It was a great tool to create content with. And for your book as well. Yes, there's over 20 photos of that aquarium in, in the new book. You know, a contest, it was very far down that, on that list of priorities, but there was a point in time where the aquascape was looking particularly good. 
And I thought, well, I'll take a nice photo of that now while it's looking in its kind of peak condition and I'll submit that. Now, ironically, the aquascape actually evolved even better. So arguably, you know, if I submitted it a couple of weeks, months later, then I could have got an even higher result. But with the time, you know, the, the, the deadline came up, so I had to submit that photo. Um, but it does raise some interesting points of debate in, in contests. There's people are motivated by different things, aren't they? And, you know, winning a contest isn't necessarily my main motivation. And remind us, are all those plants in that tank easy? They are, yeah, absolutely. The actual photograph that I submitted at that time, all of the plants uh, are in the easy category, tropical aquarium plants, easy category. And it had a very basic hardscape layout. The substrate was, uh, you know, just a plain soil, no fancy gradients or, you know, too much detail in the hardscape. So it was a very accessible aquascape that anyone can replicate. In fact, the plants are easy, so arguably you wouldn't even need CO2 injection. Uh, you could grow, almost anyone could grow all of those plants. They might not look quite so lush because I had high levels of lighting and CO2 and lots of fertilizers, etc. But you could absolutely succeed with those plants. So it's, it's interesting because I think that, that aquascape in particular probably had the potential to positively influence uh, a lot of beginner hobbyists, especially, than a high-ranking uh, aquascape in a, in a contest and had you used advanced plants do you think you would have scored higher no actually because the great thing about easy plants is there's so many of them they still look beautiful just because they're easy doesn't mean they look any less beautiful than advanced plants and the beauty is they're easy to grow so more, more and more people can grow them the good news is if you want to grow them in a high energy setup you can get absolutely the best out of them so for, for instance the limnophila the red stem plant in the background that was really bright red do you remember it was like a purpley mm -hmm. pink color on the underside of the leaves and, the, and then on the top it was like a beautiful red color because we had high levels of lighting good le high levels of co2 high levels of fertilizers etc so you could grow that plant in a low energy system without co2 but it wouldn't have looked so vibrant mm -hmm. okay and if i want to take a look at all these beautiful aquascapes that were entered for the competition where, where do I go how do I find out the information yeah there is a website the iaplc.com I believe it is but I will leave a link in the show notes so people can check out all of these beautiful aquascapes and I just want to give a special shout out to my friend Stephen Chong for coming second place which Excellent. is an epic achievement me and Stephen go way back to kind of 2003 2004 back in the tropical fish forum days that is where I started my journey online with, with aquascaping and he was a, a big talent back then. I think he was 15 years old, 16 years old. So he's come a long way and obviously one of the best aquascapers in the world right now. And it's great to see him evolve his journey. And also to our great friend, Adam Pashkella, who came ranked 21st with a beautiful aquascape as well. So congratulations to, to those guys. Yeah, well done to everybody. So getting back to the topic of today, George, tell us what is substrate and what's its purpose? So the substrate sits at the bottom of the aquarium and it has two main purposes. The first is to anchor the plants to make sure they don't float to the surface. And the second is to feed the plant roots. Now, depending on your substrate, depends on how effective they are at feeding the plant roots and actually how good they are at anchoring the plants. And it is a really important part of the whole planted tank system and it is really worth investing in a good quality substrate system. And what are the different types? So the two main types we'll talk about today are the complete soil 
substrates. So these are commercially produced. They're normally uh, volcanic ash that's been kind of compressed and baked into small pellets. So this is the soil-based substrate. And then you have inert substrates. So these are substrates that don't contain any nutrients, don't affect the water chemistry at all. And these are usually like a plain sand or gravel. And these are often used as a decorative product, uh, but they can also be used to grow the plants as well. But we have to take special steps to do that. So we can use things like root capsules, so these are like little tablets that you may have seen already. Tropica do these special root capsules in like a, a gelatin shell and they contain these tiny little nutrient balls and you can insert them next to the plant roots and they'll target feed those plants. And you can also have a nutrient rich base layer. So you have a special nutrient dense product that sits right at the base of the aquarium and then that's topped off with usually an inert substrate such as a sand or a gravel. So I can mix and match the two types? You can, yes. Now, one of the common misconceptions is that you should top off a soil with sand or gravel. Now, the soils that we're talking about today are a complete soil, and they're designed to be used usually on their own and not topped off with a sand or gravel. What will happen is, because the soil is usually not very dense, it's less dense than the sand or the gravel, it will usually make its way to the surface anyway. So always better just to use the soil on its own or depending on your soil you're using, for instance, the ADA substrate system that is designed to have uh, some more products used underneath it. But this is um, a very expensive system, but, but very effective. And we can maybe touch on that later. And do you use sands in your aquascapes? I do, but purely from a cosmetic purpose. So, for instance, in the Aquascaper 1200 right now, we have... Most of it is tropical aquarium soil, and then we have a little area of plain sand just around the front, and this is purely for decoration, purely for cosmetic purposes. It doesn't grow the plants, although it could do. It's not the optimum product to grow the plants. Now, you can grow plants in plain sand, and this is very popular because beginners will usually uh, buy an inexpensive substrate to start with, which is fair enough. And then later on, they'll take the plunge into wanting a planted tank and they already have their sand in there. So, of course, they want to use that sand to grow the plants. Now, what I will say is that you can achieve success with plain sand, but there's a few measures you need to take. You need to make sure you potentially target feed those plants with root capsules. And it's also a good idea not to have that sand too deep because what can happen is the sand can become compressed, compacted, and then in the lower layers of that sand, there's no oxygen. And what you'll have is a, an accumulation of anaerobic bacteria, and then a byproduct of that, potential byproduct of that, is hydrogen sulfide, which is this foul smelling rotten egg type gas. This can produce gas pockets, and then they usually build up and then they'll usually float to the surface. But they can potentially uh, be harmful for the livestock. The jury's out on whether there's long-term consequences, but regardless, it's not nice to have this hydrogen sulfide production in your aquarium. So if you do use sand as your main substrate, make sure it's not very deep. Try to use root capsules if you can, and maybe uh, every so often just get your finger or a stick or some tweezers and just push that into the sand to allow these gas pockets to escape if there are any. Okay, so interesting points about the sand. What about the soil then? What are the advantages of using soil? Soil is great. I'll just say that from the start. It 
has so many benefits to the entire planted aquarium system and I really recommend a soil if you want to take growing plants seriously and aquascoping seriously. So first thing is it is more expensive than sand or gravel but in my opinion it is worth the investment. So and, and how much roughly for an average size tank? So going back to our example of the 20 gallon or 80 litre aquarium you're probably looking at around between 9 and 12 litres of soil and this will cost you from anything from sort of 50 to 80 US dollars or about 50 pounds maybe a little bit less depending on the brand. So it is more expensive but you will get much better results using a soil versus a plain sand or gravel. Now how a soil works is, I think I said earlier, it's basically a compressed volcanic ash which has been pelletized and baked and one of the characteristics of this is it contains some nutrients. Now depending on the brand you have depends on the nutrient content. I'll just list uh, three of my favorite brands I've worked with before. ADA Aquasoil Amazonia, this is very very rich in nitrogen in particular. Tropica Aquarium Soil, I've used it in probably over 50 aquascapes now, proven performer. And UNS Contra Soil, this is very popular in the United States. They're all a similar price, they work in a similar way in that it contains these nutrients that help feed the plant roots. So the plant roots are in contact with the soil of course, and the nutrients are allowed to go into the, into the roots and, and feed the plants that way. Other benefits to soil it actually has an impact on the water chemistry. In most cases it will usually soften your water and actually make it slightly more acidic which is actually beneficial to the vast majority of aquarium plants and actually to the majority of tropical fish as well. So for instance we have medium hard water where we live here and when you add the soil put your water in, your aquarium water in and it'll actually soften the water and make it more acidic. And it actually has a buffering capacity as well. So it actually will hopefully hold that pH quite stable, which is again more beneficial for the, for the plants and the fish. Now another very interesting quality to soil, it has a what we call a high cation exchange capacity. So this is the CEC. And what this means, it can actually physically take in minerals and nutrients from the water and lock those into the soil and then those nutrients and minerals etc are then available to the plants if they need them. So it's it's like a, a, a big kind of nutrient buffer. It just gives you great results. You can grow plants much more easily with it. It has benefits to the water chemistry. It's easy to work with. It doesn't need rinsing. So when you buy a regular sand or a gravel it's usually really really heavily loaded with dust and particles. Now if you put that in your aquarium, you put your aquarium water in and you put the aquarium water in too quickly then you'll get a mud bath basically and you will get a mud bath if you do that again with the soil. So the trick is to install your soil and then fill up your tank very very slowly with water. Do you know what we use for we that? We use the infamous red colander. We do. So we Put the red colander we span that over the, the aquarium and we pour in our water very slowly and it doesn't disturb the soil too much and we don't get cloudy water another top tip is actually when you're planting initially when you're first aquascaping your tank put your soil in put your hardscape in insert your plants into the dry soil this makes the plants actually easier to plant there's less mess 
and the plants stay anchored better. So when you do eventually fill with water, those plants aren't going to likely float away. So this is a top tip, and I have to give some credit to Yuri's, uh, our good friend from Germany, on that tip. Before, what I was doing was putting the soil in and then filling up just above the soil line and then planting. But what happens is your tweezers get really dirty, they get really muddy, because you're constantly going in and out of the soil with your tweezers, and then you're transferring that mud all around the aquarium, onto the plants, etc. So planting into dry soil is, is definitely my recommendation. Okay, and so I don't need to rinse, but it, as long as I use the colander and do that water fill slowly, slowly. then I'll yeah. get best results. Absolutely. I can't emphasise enough, it's really important to fill really slowly. It's worth taking two hours to fill your aquarium, otherwise you, you might spend 24 hours waiting for that aquarium to clear if you fill up too quickly. Yeah. So it's a false economy to fill up too quickly. Okay, and how long do the nutrients in the soil last for? This is a really great question and really I get asked this all the time. So it really depends on your system, uh, the nutrient demands of the plants, uh, your water change schedule, uh, lots of different variables. But the good news is if you use a soil in conjunction with regular liquid fertilisers, the, the nutrient content of the soil will last a lot longer. And the reason for this is because the plants have a great ability to use nutrients from their leaves as well as through their roots. So the plant will actually adapt to what it has the ability to use. So if you don't give it any nutrients in the soil, then it will have to take it through the leaves and vice versa. If you don't give it liquid fertilizers, it will have to take all of its nutrients through the soil. So by feeding the plant leaves, it has less demands of taking nutrients through its roots. So the nutrient content of the soil will last a lot longer. For that reason, I always like to almost spoil my plants, give them more than what they need, and then they'll just thrive, and a thriving plant means less algae. So we give them a good quality soil substrate, we give them good quality liquid fertilizers, ideally every day, and then that nutrient content of the soil will last a lot longer, the plant will be super healthy and super healthy plant means less algae. And when you say a lot longer, what Inde does that mean? Indefinitely. I've seen substrates last 10 years. Okay. What will happen is the, the soil itself will gradually decompose into like a mud sludge like substance. And this might sound like an issue, but it's only, but it only becomes an issue if you have, you know, really kind of active, ground dwelling fish that are burying in the soil that's going to kick up a load of mud and you'll get cloudy water that way so you might want to avoid uh, burying catfish you know corridoras loaches etc which you don't normally see a lot in in aquascapes anyway but just something to bear in mind also if you're one to kind of constantly move your plants around and rescape your hardscape and, and get your hand in there and, and constantly changing things around you will experience issues because you'll be constantly kicking up that soil getting cloudy water and actually the issue of that is you'll potentially unlock a load of those nutrients from the soil that's going to float around the aquarium and then you'll get algae issues okay so a real top tip again another top tip for you is to always do a large water change if you've disturbed that soil if you see any detritus and, and dirt and mud kick up into the water then try to do a large water change because otherwise that could trigger an algae bloom and how long have you had the substrate in the 1200? That's been in there for a couple of years now. 
Yeah, and it's still fine. You see the plant growth. Um, I'm feeding liquid fertilizers every day. I feed 25 milliliters of Tropica Specialized Nutrition every day with an automatic doser. I think I used four, four or five nine liter bags of the trop Tropica Aquarium soil in there. If you look closely at the glass, you can see layers of kind of decomposition of mm -hmm. the soil. Um, but because I, I don't, I don't get my hand in there. I'm not constantly pulling out plants and replanting or adjusting the hardscape. It's absolutely fine. I don't have any ground dwelling fish, so it, it's absolutely fine. Um, but a good top tip with regards to substrate maintenance is that it is a good idea, if you can, to remove an excess accumulation of waste from the soil. And this is a really simple process. What I like to do is use a credit card or my hand and just gently wave your hand above the soil, just above the plants and the soil, then you'll see a load of that rubbish or that waste organics lift up into the water and then we siphon that away as part of the water change. Now interestingly I have just published a video on water changes on the Tropical Aquarium Plants YouTube channel so listeners please do check that out and you'll get a detailed explanation of why water changes are necessary and a little bit of an insight into how we maintain the soil using that technique. And can I reuse a substrate when I want to create a new aquascape? You can, yes. So you, when you're rescaping, so that means creating a new layout, you can take all your hardscape out, all of your plants, you'll have your substrate left over. During that process, it's a good idea to do that maintenance thing that we said about siphoning all of that waste organics up. I mean, you're going to, by the action of you removing all of those plants and hardscape anyway, you're going to really kick up a load of mud part of the rescaping process is to empty as much of that water out as possible so that's going to give the substrate a good clean that way and then yes you can just rescape put your hardscape your new hardscape in or reconfigure your old hardscape put your new plants in or reconfigured old plants and away you go the big top tip here is after you've rescaped and filled your aquarium up for the first time my advice is to do almost do another 100% water change because the action of you obviously disturbing that soil replanting and, and putting the hardscape back in you're going to disturb a load of that waste organics that's going to be lifted into the water again and it's a really good idea to siphon all of that away flush it all away and then and then refill up really really slowly again hopefully with a red colander and if you were to rescape the 1200 which i know you're not going to you're going to sort of close that down yeah but if you were to would you keep that same substrate I would if I was on a tight budget because it does still contain those nutrients which we talked about and the reason it does that is because we're regularly using a liquid fertilizers. It's going to have loads of beneficial bacteria in there. We haven't talked about bacteria. So the substrate is a great host of beneficial bacteria and it converts that entire substrate into a giant biological filter basically. And the soil itself, this is another great advantage to the soil, those particles, those granules of soil have a very porous structure which makes them a great home to beneficial bacteria. So this is another great point. So an advantage of reusing the old soil is that you're going to maintain this great population of beneficial bacteria. Obviously, you're not spending the money on a new substrate. You're going to get good results. Now, the disadvantage is that the nutrient content is not going to be so high. There will be still some there because of the liquid fertilizer usage, but it's not going to be so high. And its buffering capacity may be reduced as well. So we talked about its ability to reduce the pH and the hardness. 
that capability has probably been reduced over the over the time. So for that reason, if you can afford it, I would recommend using a new soil. It is relatively expensive. It's not in everyone's budget, but if it is, then absolutely use a new soil. A good idea is to actually mix a little bit of, keep a little bit of the old soil in there so you maintain this bacteria population and then you get all the great advantages of a brand new soil in terms of that buffering capacity, the nutrient content, and it looks nicer as well because it's not been kind of degraded into that mud-like substance. And is it easier to work with then on the new scape? Yes, absolutely. It's not as filthy and dirty. So if you're topping off with a brand new dry soil, you can play around with the hardscape and you're not, not going to be getting mud and, and you know, all dirt everywhere. So I, really lo- I actually really enjoy working with a brand new soil. Okay, and we've touched on livestock previously. Is the substrate safe for shrimps? Yes, this is an interesting topic. Some soils will give you an ammonia spike on the initial installation. A great example is the ADA Aquasoil Amazonia. This contains loads of nitrogen. So when you first fill up your aquarium, it will leach ammonia, which is highly toxic for shrimp, snails, fish, etc. It's really important to do very large frequent water changes in order to dilute that ammonia. Now this isn't necessarily a very beginner friendly substrate for that reason. Beginners aren't necessarily wanting to be doing 75% water changes every day or, or whatever your chosen method is. So for that reason the ammonia is obviously going to be toxic for shrimp in particular. They're really sensitive to ammonia. So you might want to use a lower nutrient content soil and there are shrimp specific soils out there. My advice is actually to stick with a great soil for plants. If you've got the energy and the motivation, do that high maintenance for the first few weeks. We've talked about water changes, the frequency, etc. before, but just to reiterate, in a brand new aquascape using a soil substrate, my personal advice, this is what I do in my own aquascapes, is do at least a 50% water change every day for the first week. 50% water change every second day for the second week, 50% water change every third day for the third week, and then after the fourth week we can do a 50% water change once a week. Now what that does, it dilutes that potential ammonia to a safe level, that means you're not going to get algae issues. After three weeks you can usually stock your shrimp, depending on the substrate system you can arguably stock them sooner. The Tropica soil doesn't actually leach as much ammonia as the ADA, so I've stocked shrimp after week one, for instance. I just make sure I test that water to make sure there's zero ammonia or nitrites, which are both very toxic. Going back to your original point, soil is absolutely safe for shrimp, but you just have to make sure these water changes are carried out in that initial period. Keep an eye on the water parameters and you'll be absolutely fine. But my advice is to go for a plant-friendly soil because you've got those extra nutrients to feed the plants. And actually the plants, they're such a great filter, they're such a great producer of oxygen they provide shelter and security for the shrimp so by looking after the plants with that with that plant-friendly soil you're actually looking after the shrimp so my advice is to always go for that plant-friendly soil such as the tropical aquarium soil ADA aquasoil amazonia or the UNS contrasoil those are my top three in some of the aquascapes that you do uh, sometimes you have the uh, the soil flat and then sometimes it goes up really deep towards the back what's the difference why do you do those methods that's a great point actually it's just purely aesthetic so if you want to create a bigger sense of depth in an aquascape it's almost like an optical illusion when you're looking at an aquarium directly from the front if it's really steep at the back it actually looks deeper front to back than it really is 
and it's great for like I said creating a sense of depth you can use different plant textures different hardscapes to really further enhance that and it's a very very popular technique with especially with the top aquascapers the use of depth is really really important in aquascaping and this is something you'll probably touch up on in, in season two when we really could dive deep into aquascaping principles good thing about soil is because it's so porous and it promotes root growth uh, as the roots grow they produce oxygen so you can almost guarantee that no matter how deep that soil is you're not going to get that build-up of anaerobic bacteria which we talked about which you would do with sand and no plant growth so there's a very distinct difference there please don't slope your sand really really steep because you will potentially produce these this hydrogen sulfide etc now another top tip when you're using your soil and sand from a decorative point of view is that you can create really great effects like a valley you can have your soil sloped to the left and to the right and with a deliberately shallow portion down the center and then that down that center you can have a very thin layer of sand this is going to look like a, a beautiful pathway running through the aquascape this is a really popular technique so the soil in combination with the sand isn't always just about purely growing the plants it's also about creating a beautiful aesthetic for your aquascape so that's something to bear in mind as well but we'll talk about more of these kind of detailed compositional principles probably in season two with the soil you can get two types the powder type and the normal what's the difference the difference is literally the grain size so the powder type is a much smaller grain normally between half a millimeter and one millimeter or so grain size and the normal type is usually between sort of three and six millimeters. Exactly the same product, just different grain size. Now the advantage of the powder type, it is really great for aesthetics. So if you have a very small aquarium, you want to kind of give the best sense of scale. So if you imagine using really big grains in a, in a small aquarium, you're really gonna notice that aquarium is really small. Whereas if you use really fine grains, it's going to give you a better sense of scale. Another advantage to powder type is that it's really great for really delicately rooted plants. So a lot of the Tropica 1-2 grow plants, especially the carpeting species, have super delicate roots. And it's actually quite challenging to plant these really tiny plants in normal type uh, soil. So that, that's a, another advantage. What a lot of people like to do, and this is a top tip, a bit of a pro tip if you like, is to start off the initial two-thirds layer of that soil is a normal type, and then you can top off with a third powder type. So you, you get the best of both worlds. Another interesting point is that you probably pay a little bit more for the powder type per litre per volume because it's heavier, because it's denser. A lot of people think they're getting ripped off when they buy the powder type because it's the same it's the same volume of bag but it's actually more to it there's more weight to it because it's a denser product so it's just another thing to bear in mind and what do you tend to use i actually test tend to use the the normal type almost all the time we did use the powder type in the tropical aqua cube and um, but yeah i tend to use the normal type i also want to touch on the ada substrate system so ada aqua design amano a luxury japanese aquarium brand founded by takashi amano who sadly passed away in 2015 but the ADA substrate system is widely regarded as one of the best in the world it's certainly one of the most expensive in the world and it consists of a base layer of usually power sand now that power sand can have extra additives added to it or you can buy the power sand special and the power sand is like a 
pumice, uh, small kind of tiny little rocks, and they're coated in like an organic kind of peat, peaty kind of material. And then they have other additives such as uh, activated carbon, some bacteria products, etc. And then that is topped off with the aqua soil. And actually, ADA produced three different types of aqua soil as well. The most famous, the most infamous, is the aqua soil Amazonia, which is the highest nutrient content. So you will pay a lot more for this entire substrate system compared with Tropica Aquarium soil, for instance, which you just use literally on its own with nothing underneath, nothing on top, just a sole use product. So you will pay more for the ADA substrate system entirely, but you potentially will get arguably better results. Now, whether those results justify the cost is kind of down to personal preference, but you'll find a lot of the top aquascapers, people that really want to invest you know a lot of their you know hard-earned cash into their hobby are quite happy to pay for that premium but it is you know it is down to the individual i personally get great results with just using tropical aquarium soil um, with a good liquid fertilizer okay thanks george lots of really good hints and tips and uh, some great information for our listeners to digest um what would your top three takeaways be Consider investing in a good quality soil substrate rather than an inert substrate. Make sure you use the soil in conjunction with liquid fertilisers to really get the best out of your plants. And when you first install your soil, fill up really slowly with a colander. (laughs) And where can people find out more information if they want to read up on the substrate topic even more? Yes, I recommend the UK Aquatic Plant Society Forum, ucaps.org slash forum. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. There's actually an entire sub-forum dedicated to substrates and there's a a group of experts on there always happy to help. Also consider pre-ordering my book, which has a chapter dedicated to substrates that covers all of these topics we've just talked about in more detail and you have a beautiful book to look at as well. You could also ask specific questions on our Facebook page, the George Farmer Podcast. Drop us a message there and we'll do our best to get back to you. And looking ahead to this week, George, what's coming up? Big news is that finally we are getting rid of the Aquascaper 1200. The final, final. The final, final, getting rid of it. I need to do a video on it, a documentary style, you know, talking about the whole journey from setting it up four years ago to where we are now. I'm reusing the plants in an Aquascape, brand new scape down in London with my good friend Matt Eamon from Eamon Aquatics for a client. And yeah, it's a bittersweet moment really because it has been a huge journey. It's taught me loads about aquascaping and hopefully it's inspired and educated a lot of people through the videos I've created on it. Nearly 60 videos now on that. But the good news is that we're replacing it with something super exciting. And I was a Highline 400, which is a 400 litre or around about 100 US gallons. That's going to be an aquascape dedicated to Stenker discus. So for those that don't know, Stenker discus are German bred. They thrive in hard water, which is what we have here. We've had great success with them before, and I'm super excited to have great success with them again, hopefully. Yeah, me too. It's my favourite tank. Yeah, and we're going to reorganise the gallery almost around this tank, get loads of houseplants in there, and I'm just really excited for for the future. Um, it's going to be great. So before we go, I just want to thank everyone so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating and reviewing us. It really is appreciated. The aim of the George Farmer podcast is to make aquascaping more accessible and digestible, especially in season one dedicated to beginners. So really hope you enjoy it and we'll speak to you on the next episode. Take care. Keep on scaping. Cheerio.